So Genesis 14, uh, 1 through 16. So we're going through the life of Abram. I've missed uh, quite a few Sundays this summer for trips and weddings and stuff like that. So I missed last week, um, I believe it was Genesis uh, 13, I'm guessing, right? Come on, Tim, preach. He's going to be upset if you don't remember what he preached on. I think it was Genesis 13. But uh, now we're jumping into Genesis 14, uh, and uh, it's about Abram saving uh, Lot. And so I, I listened to this passage on my Bible app over and over and over again, trying to get the pronunciation here. So um, bear with me. I was actually just going to skip all the way past all of that, but I decided let's try to, let's try to tackle that because it is uh, a key part of the story as well. Um, so Genesis 14.1. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, Chedilermor, king of Alam, and Tidal, king of Goyim. These kings made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Beersha, king of Gomorrah, Sinab, king of Adma, Shemember, king of Zeboim, and the king Bala, that is Zoar. All these joined forces in the valley of Sidon, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Chedilermor, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. So basically, you have these five kings um, serving Chedileomor. Am I saying that right? You're all like, oh, that sounds good to me. Uh, They're serving him for 12 years, and it says they rebel. We don't know exactly what that looks like, like what did the rebellion look like. Um, It doesn't seem to be an aggressive rebellion. Uh, It seems to me more of like, we're just not going to do what you want us to do anymore. Um, so yeah, so you have these five people, five kings in their kingdoms, um, serving this guy for 12 years, but in the 13th year, they rebelled. And then Chedilimor waits a little bit before he does anything, and then in the 14th year, Chedilimor and the kings who are with him um, came and defeated the Raphaim in Asteroth, Carneum, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim, in Shabbat, this was my, this was the tough one, Shabbat, Kiriathayim, and the Horites in the hill country of Sair. Basically, I didn't prep for this sermon. I just practiced pronunciation all week. So <laughs> I'm actually just going to sit down when I'm done reading. Um, and the Horites in their hill country of Sair, as far as El Paran, on the border of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to En Misfat, that is Kadesh, and defeated all the countries of the Amalekites and also the Amorites who were dwelling in Hazazan Tamar. Then they came, then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, the king of Bela, that is Zoar, went out and they joined battle in the valley of Sidon with Chedorlaomer, king of Alam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Amraphel, Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Ariok, king of Elisar. Four kings against five. You all following? <laughs> I didn't until like 15 readings in and a couple commentaries. Um, so you have uh, Chileomor, you know, they rebelled. He waits for a year and then he goes and, um, you know, attacks these five kings. Now the Valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, which are tar pits, um, and, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, 
Some fell into them, and the rest fled to the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who was dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions and went their way. The one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living in the oaks of Mamre, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshcol and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his kingdom had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them. Well, side note, I love like the detail. It wasn't like 300 some, 318. Like When you read through the Old Testament, you get these exact numbers, and it just shows... Um, the involvement, I feel, of God, of like every single person counts. Born in the house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. That one was easy. (laughs) And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kingsman lot with his possessions and the women and the people. Okay, so what we have here in Genesis 14 are a lot of difficult names, um, but the point of it and laying it all out here in Scripture um, is to show this first war ever recorded in Scripture. So this, this is the first time you hear of war, Genesis 14. And as I mentioned, we have five kingdoms that were subject to this one king. Um, and after a while, they became restless after 12 years, and they rebelled. And then Chedorlaomer waited a year and prepped his people and then went out and systematically attacked them and broke them down, all five kings. And in all of this, somebody from Sodom escapes and goes and talks to Abram. So obviously, Abram was known around this area, if one of the guys from Sodom escapes and goes and talks to him. Um, And this is actually the first time that we hear Abram being called a Hebrew uh, as well in Scripture. So the backstory here a little bit in Genesis 13 is we have Lot. So the kind of everything about this passage here has to do with Abram going and saving Lot. And we know from Genesis chapter 13 that Lot and Abram had to divide. They, They split up. And we see in Genesis 13, 10, it says, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. So Lot lifted up his eyes and saw what the Jordan was like. And then in Genesis 13, 14, it says, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. So what do you see as the difference here between the two? Lot and Abram in that passage that I just read. He was greedy. Yeah. He wanted the best. I'm sorry? Lot was gracious? Well, he, oh, bro, okay. 
I, I, I didn't want to say that, you know, you were wrong, but I'm glad you, <laughs> glad you corrected yourself. Try like, how do I say that nicely? So Abram was gracious, gracious, right? He gave Lot first choice. How about uh, the manner in which they picked? Does that anything there stand out to you? So it's 1040. You're all like awake and functioning now, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Lot, it says Lot, and it's, it's tiny, but it's significant. Lot lifted up his eyes. Genesis 13.10. Genesis 13.14, the Lord said to Abram, lift up your eyes. It's minor, but it's significant. Lot lifted his eyes and saw. And then Abram waited, and the Lord lifted his eyes and showed him. You know, by sight, what Lot chose was better. But Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that appears right, but in the end, it leads to death. That is so significant. Because our intellect and our reasoning and our discussion and our debate and our thinking and analyzing is extremely flawed and oftentimes self-motivated. It says the heart is deceptively wicked. God gave us a mind to use and is calling us to transform it. But how often do we depend on this rather than on God? You know, the Bible says, and it's a familiar passage, that we shouldn't lean into our own understanding of a situation. But how many of you are like me so often, where the first thing that you do is you analyze the situation? Or you call, you phone a friend. Hey, what do you think about this? How many of us, the first thing that we do is that we come before the Lord? How often do we do that instead? You know, the Bible says, don't lean on your own understanding, but lean into God through prayer. Hold our plans and our desires with open hands. Because, and, you know, as we know, every single day we see in the news and in our lives and through our families and our friends that we cannot control the future. All sorts of stuff can come our way and thwart our desires and thwart our plans, and it can throw us into confusion. But if we lean into God and we just say, you know what, Lord, like this this is the desire of my heart, right? That, that verse that says, you know, many are the plans in a man's heart, but the Lord guides his step. And say, Lord, you know, you tell us to plan and have desires and all that sort of stuff, but I'm just going gonna, gonna to hold it like this because I don't know the future. I don't know this afternoon. I don't know tonight. I don't know tomorrow. Like, I can want and desire all of this, but I have to hold it like this because I don't know the future. I don't know what it holds. But we do know that God holds the future. And to say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. I'm going to prepare, and I'm going to be ready, and I'm going to make a plan. But Lord, you guide my steps and tell me where to go. So Lot just goes, mm, that looks good, I'll take it. And he goes. Abram waits patiently on the Lord, and the Lord lifts his eyes. 
So Lot, that's the backstory. And then in Genesis 14, Lot is taken away, and Abram is made aware of this. Now, I kind of tried to put myself in Abram's shoes, because he could have sat back and done nothing. Reason number one was he, at this point, was 80 years old. Now, just, like, imagine that. Like, I'm 36, my lower back is going, my hamstrings are so tight that I can't put my pants on, I actually have to go like this. It's very humorous. My kids, every time I pick them up, I'm like, lots of grunts and groans in our house, right? (laughs) And I think that, I, I often think, you know, if we went to war, like, I hope they don't pick me. Because I am not prepared. And I'm only 36. Yeah, exactly. So Abram was 80. Could you imagine? Uh, Imagine your nephew was taken captive. Would you be like, let's go fight. I'm ready for this. Or would you be like, well, let's send some other people. Uh, He was 80 years old. He was comfortable somewhat. I mean, he was a nomad, but he was comfortable. He had his possessions. He had his things. He could have easily just said, you know what? I'm just, the knees just aren't working the way they used to. Abram could have done nothing because Lot got himself into this mess. Psalm 1.1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. This is the progression of Lot. And this is the progression of destruction in people's lives. Walk, stand, sit. And I, I've shared this before because it's one of my favorites, but it's kind of like, you know, here's, here's all the craziness going on. You're like, I'm just going just gonna to check it out, walk by, and then you're like, huh, that actually doesn't look too bad. And then the third step is like, you know what? This, this is great. I'm just going just gonna to sit and get comfortable. You know, it starts off with walking, and then you reason away a little bit, and then it's standing. And then you reason away a little bit, and it's sitting. And we see this exact progression. In the beginning, Genesis 13, Lot moved near Sodom. Not in Sodom, near Sodom. And then in 14, we see him living in Sodom. And then later on, when Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed, where do we find him? little Bible trivia. Sitting at the gates. Walk, stand, sit. Abram could have said, you know what? He got himself into this mess. He was selfish. He chose what looked good. He didn't trust God. You know what? I'm going to give him a little bit of tough love. That nephew of mine, he needs to learn a lesson. Or he could have thought maybe, you know, I don't want to enable him. Lot is always making bad decisions. And if I'm always going in and rescuing him, I'm going to enable him and he's going to stay in that pattern. Tough love. You know, and sometimes there may be a place for that because you don't want to enable somebody over and over and over again. But more so what I find in Scripture is forgiving 70 times 7. Usually what I find in Scripture, or almost all the time, is grace. The people around us, and ourselves included, we are used to getting what we deserve. That's what we're used to. But we're not used to grace. And that's what Abram showed, was grace. 
Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Whenever you have the opportunity to show grace, show it. The people that hurt us, grace. The people that hate us, grace. The people that constantly fail us, grace. And this is not normally what I do. And this morning was like a perfect example of it. The, the morning went a little bit crazy. I was supposed to be here at 9 o'clock, uh, and usually that means like 9.10 on Morby time, but I was supposed to be here at 9 o'clock to help with the high school. Well, as I'm walking out the door, Oliver takes a juice box, and he goes, hey, Dad, squirts it all over me. Just out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth spoke. I was like, Oliver! It just breaks down sobbing. I didn't know there was anything in it. Like, and I was just like, oh, grace. Like, I'm teaching on grace this morning. (laughs) This is from you, Lord. (laughs) You squirt me with juice. Uh, And I just like, just bent down. I was just like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm so sorry. I love you. And I just hugged him. Where if I wasn't, if my mind wasn't wrapped around this passage, like, he would have been left home or put in timeout. So then I go outside, and now it's probably like 9.05 by this point, to go print my sermon. Abby comes running into the office where I was printing it. Oliver just punched me, punched me right in the gut, and she's crying. And then she goes, well, I was like, why did he do that? Well, I I was calling him a poopy head. (laughs) It's like, oh, there you go. And I come in, and Oliver's like, Abby's just being a bully. And my natural response would have been, they need to learn their lesson. They need a timeout. They need a talk from dad. But the Lord was just real, and it clearly was from, and this is such a small example, but it clearly was from him. I was given, uh, as a party favor last night at the wedding, uh, a box of Hershey Kisses. And so I get in the car, and we're driving, and I start talking to the kids, and I said, do you, guys, do you know what grace is? And Abby was, of course, because she's the smart one, she was like, oh yeah, oh tell me. She's like, well, you tell me what grace is. <laughs> I want to, she does that sometimes. I want to see if you know. Like, so basically, that means you won't admit that you don't know. And so I talked to them, and I said, you know, gave an example and said, so if Oliver hits you, and then you hug him and say, I love you, that's grace. Because what he deserves is to be hit back. But grace is getting what we don't deserve. And then with Abby, I said, Abby, if you say something mean to Oliver and then he says something mean back, you're getting what you deserve. But if he talks back kindly to you and says that he loves you, that's grace. And then I talked about the cross. And I said, what Jesus did was grace. I said, because of what happened this morning, you kids deserve a timeout. But you know what I'm going to do instead? I'm going to give you Hershey kisses. And I pass back not smart, like, we're on our way to church, and I'm passing chocolate back to three kids, yeah, and I was like, keep an eye on Ivy, because I could just imagine, 
you know. And I said, this, this is grace. You do not deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. My, my heart, if I'm just speaking about myself, I do not live from a posture of grace. Even when I think I'm doing something for somebody else, I'm expecting something in return. Usually, my motive, I'm expecting something in return. Grace says, no matter what, I'm going to always offer love to this person. No matter what they do, no matter how they hurt me, no matter how they fail me, grace. Just imagine if in our marriages, in our families, in our communities, our posture was always grace. In this situation right now, how can I give this person something that they don't deserve? Because that's what Christ has done for me. So he could have done nothing because Lot got himself into this mess, but he chose grace. He could have also done nothing because he was outnumbered. You know, here's four kingdoms that just decimated five kingdoms. And then you have Abram with 318 men. So he could have just said, you know what? I'm outnumbered. Maybe I'll just go in and get Lot and come out. But, you know, he chose to go in. He chose not to use that excuse. And I thought of this passage from 1 Samuel when David is talking to Goliath. Like, the ultimate underdog. And David says, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. That's, that's what we have. The name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. Like, no fear. Like, as Christians, we should have no fear of what can come against us. Exactly, yeah. If God is with us, who can be against us? In every situation. You know, so even like going back to the thought of grace. Like, well, if I show continual love and forgiveness, they're just going to take advantage of me. Like, that sometimes is my thought. Like, I I have to stand up for myself. I have to defend myself because then they're just going to walk all over me if I don't. But that's fear. Here, we have the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, Like, let the Lord figure that stuff out. Our job is not to be jury, judge, and executioner. Executioner. Chittalayamore. (laughs) That's not our job. Our job is to show the love of Christ. So Abram goes. And another thing that amazes me with this passage, again, I've read this passage a bunch of times, and I just breeze through it. I'm like, okay, here's a lot of really tough names. I'm not going to read those and pretend like I did. Oh, and Abram, oh, he goes and, you know, saves a lot. And when I read this passage, I'm like, Tim, Deering, man, give me something better. Give me Genesis 13. But there is so much depth to this passage. And one of the things that stuck out is the fact that Abram got up and went. Like, there was no hesitation. If this was a movie, it would be 
it would be okay movie, but it would miss the, the pinnacle scene. And you'll probably know what I'm talking about. Okay, so this guy comes and says, Abram, your nephew Lot, he's been taken. I practice in Hollywood a little bit. <laughs> and then I imagine this like montage with this like gladiator type music of Lot's been taken. And then men, like the men training and like doing all of this stuff. And, and like crazy music, like, oh, they're getting ready for war. And then they go out. Rather, it was like, Lot was taken. All right, let's go. Abram was prepared. And that just blows my mind because really what threat was against him? He was a nomad, so nobody's going to come and invade his land. You know, maybe they'll try to come and take his stuff. But the fact that he was ready to go with 318 men It shows me that, you know, God calls us to be prepared, to be ready. Ephesians 6, and and you guys know this passage, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. When's the last time somebody asked, uh, why are you so happy? Why do you have so much hope? And what would be our response? Well, I drank bold instead of mild coffee this morning. First Peter 5.8 Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That is a powerful verse. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So, Peter, you know, we need to be prepared with answers. Like, why do you believe in Jesus Christ? Tell me about the hope of the cross. Why do you have joy? Why do you show grace to people when you should be showing something else? We need to be prepared, and this, this one is something that I'm trying to work on, prepared with our time. You know, in Genesis 1, it says that the Lord created space, God created space in days 1, 2, and 3, and then days 4, 5, and 6, he then filled the space. Created space, and then filled the space. And something Carrie and I are really working on in our lives, and I, I know it's not easy, but we're trying to work on creating space. I think in this culture, we become so jam-packed with our schedules that when a need arises, we don't have any time. Be like, well, let me check my schedule. And it's like, oh, I can fit you in in two and a half weeks. The colleges, where are you guys at? That was something you were saying. Um, Might not have been to me directly, but through the grapevine, you know, over in Indonesia, like, life was simple. And your neighbor had a need, and you probably went and that day you had time. Or somebody wanted to get together, and that day you had time. But in this culture, we are so inundated with busyness, sports, schedules, homework, um, going here, going there, just like running all around, and we're just fried and we're burnt out. And there are constantly needs around us, and we, we keep saying, wow, I just don't have the time. And for everybody, it looks different. But are we prepared with, with our time, creating space. 
So when needs arise, we can meet those needs. And then from 1 Peter 5.8, being prepared when temptation comes. You know, many of us seek God when it's difficult. Or temptation comes, we fall into temptation, and then we seek God for forgiveness. What about preparation prior? Time in the Word. Starting our day with prayer. Walking in step with the Spirit. So when those situations arise, we're ready. We're equipped with the armor of God. Abram was prepared, and he went. And he was strategic, too. I mean, obviously, he was knowledgeable in the art of war because he went by night, and he divided. And these four kings, again, decimated five kingdoms. And Abram, with 318 men, comes in and just wipes them out and takes Lot and... Well, it doesn't say he wipes them out. I'm adding that in. But I guess smote. Is that, that's wiping out. King James, Abram smote them, whatever that means. But he was ready. So in, in all of this, this story, Genesis 14, the overarching picture that I see is that of the grace of Christ. Like Abram and what he did for Lot is a perfect picture of Christ and what he did for us. The cross, the crucifix, was the most humiliating and painful form of death that was ever invented. Now it's a symbol of Christianity, but in the time of Rome, it was a symbol of torture and humiliation. The Bible says, Cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus Christ, the one that gives us breath, chose to come down to this messed up world and rescue us. We do not deserve him. And he could have just come down and just, you know, made everything right. But instead, he chose a path of humility, of misunderstanding, of homelessness. Says he had nowhere to rest his head of rejection, of constantly showing love and people failing him. We see it all the way up to the cross. Yet he constantly showed grace. And every single day in our lives, we mess up. And it amazes me that every time I go after the Lord, he's there. Like, I just... And I know you guys as well, and, and a lot of it's probably in our um, own minds because we, you know, don't want to share our struggles with others because it's embarrassing or it's humiliating or it's defeating. But I know every single one of us in this room daily feels like we failed in some way. And it's hard for us to go to Christ, to go to God, because we think we don't deserve him. Well, the truth is we don't. But the amazing thing is, is that he's there, always ready to forgive. And he did it. He showed it in the most humble, humiliating, painful, embarrassing way. Like I said, he, he could have come down and done anything else. He's God. 
but he chose the cross. Because he wanted to show us that he would do anything that it took to show grace and love and care. That's the picture that I really see here. Um, You know what I'm thankful for. Abram, he went in when he didn't have to, and he showed grace to Lot, and he rescued him. And then later on, we see Lot back in Sodom again. And, and Abram is pleading for Lot once again, where God says he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abram says, well, if there are this many righteous, you know, will you not do it? Well, or if this many, this many, this many. Didn't matter what Lot did. Abram was constantly showing grace to him, and that's what Christ does for us. So this morning, you know, I hope um, that you're encouraged, because I, I think if you're anything like me, it's, it's really easy to be discouraged and just see everything that's wrong with us. And then I read these passages, and I just see Christ just saying, yeah, you're messed up, but I love you anyway. Let's pray. Lord, this passage that I, I seriously, I've read many times, um, and I, I'm guessing I just glance over it because I barely remembered it. Lord, but it's so full of depth and a picture of your grace. Lord, you, you come down and you rescue Lord, you're there right beside us. Lord, and I just, I thank you so much for your grace. And I pray, um, you know, I've, I've been thinking, as I make decisions recently, I've been thinking about my motives. And I've been so convicted because the majority of the time, my motive isn't grace. My motive is selfish. Even, even though I mask it uh, in something that looks like grace, there's still selfishness behind it, even if it's just recognition that I want for what I'm doing. Lord, and I've been convicted that um, I don't live from a posture of grace. I live from a posture of selfishness. Lord, but you're calling us to something so much more, Lord. And, and the gospel, the foundation of the gospel is grace and love, Lord, and and we have you indwelling us, Lord, and you're calling us to go out and be grace and love. If we live from a posture of grace, the impact that we'll have on the lives around us will be so significant because people are not used to being given grace. They're, They're used to being given what they deserve. Lord, that's the way our society functions. Lord, and if we come in on the scene and we're just showing unconditional grace, Lord, that speaks volumes about the kingdom of heaven. Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, so um, whatever uh, whatever each heart and soul and mind uh, is supposed to take away from this morning, Lord, I pray that you uh, have imprinted that. And I know for me, um, it's just checking, checking my motives and uh, seeing if I'm living from a posture of grace or from a posture of selfishness, Lord. So I thank you that you've taught me that this morning. Um, and I can go out and just be more aware uh, of how I'm interacting with the world, Lord. 
Uh, and I just pray the same for everybody sitting here. That's not just, oh, that was a good message, or, you know, oh, he had a funny story, um, Lord. But we see you different, and uh, because of that, we're changed. In your son's name, we pray. Amen.